What's the story behind the story? We'll find out on Dropping In. Our guests are today's original thinkers, conversations that spark new ways of seeing what's going on. We bring it all to the table. Diverse perspectives, controversy, loving, and singular voices. Magically, stories reveal the common threads that link us. Experience the joys, the fist pumps, the detours, and the hard-won truths of those who blaze the trail so that we might do the same. And now, here's your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. Today, amidst the pandemic, we are witnessing the rise of the right in politics all around the world, which is thought to be closely linked to the resistance against vaccination. It's a medical and not political requirement for us to contain COVID, but in addition, we're alarmed to see symbols of um, movements from the right wing that demonstrate hatred of groups, recalling the desire for genocide. How does this lack of historical understanding take root? Is history bound to repeat itself? And how do we work through our own identified roles, patterns, traumatic pasts, so as to be free enough to make independent choices for ourselves? Here to talk about it is Dr. Gary Reese, author of Getting Off the Wheel, a process-oriented psychology approach to personal and world liberation. Welcome, Gary. Great to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much, Diane. So good to be here. Thanks for getting up at 6 a.m. Hawaii time. That's really kind of you. I know it's one of your your personal (laughs) hot spots to be there. And so wonderful that you can join us from from Hawaii. Um, you. You say that, yes, it's a pleasure to have you. You say that if everyone is not free, then none of us is free. And uh, the quote, until we are all free, we are none of us free, is attributed to Emma Lazarus. I take it that that means that until we engage with these ghosts or ghost roles, uh, we're going to be plagued by these energies, these, uh, you know, we haven't done the healing with our history um, and redirecting the energy from some of these movements. Um, do, do you think that these shifts to the right um, are part of a, a manifestation of unhealed energies? Well, you know, Diana, I, I read some incredible research by someone who studied one of the most extreme right groups. And his research showed something like, he said that he hadn't met one of them yet who didn't have extreme childhood trauma. Now, I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really, really interesting about when we've been hurt really badly and haven't had the opportunity to heal that, the tendency then to move into a closed position and to something more of hatred and not hating the one who hurts us, but maybe hating whole groups of people. Um, it's a really, really big issue, not talked about much. Mm-hmm. I think that your book um, does a real service uh, by helping people through exercises in the book, um, getting off the wheel, to, to identify these ghosts and I, these ancestral ghosts, um, because we're really talking about the intersection now of the personal to the political, as you just said, there seems to be uh, a, a, a fingerprint there that, you know, childhood trauma is, is maybe a part of the reason that people are projecting this, this negative energy. Um, you talk about process-oriented family therapy, working with someone who's in the room abstractly, abstractly not necessarily there physically, uh, in order to release these ghosts. Um, and I love the ghost roles because we do feel ghosts in addition to ourselves. Something comes over us, but we don't know what, and it enters into our conversations. And I wondered, you know, you you have this two-prong approach, Gary, to addressing these this, these issues. I mean, do you see these kinds of ghosts as being not one and the same, but kindred somehow. 
You know, yeah, I mean, they, they, they work together. I mean, you have um, something that comes through a family, and that hurts you. But where did that come from into the person who hurt you? Most of the time, those are multi-generational kinds of things. And also how history played a role in that. Um, it's been so important for me to explore with people. Well, yeah, I hear that really horrible thing that happened to you from like your mother or your father or whatever. What happened to them? Not just personally, but historically. And those ghosts come in and can really um, uh, possess you almost um, politically. I think I talked in that book about I was being interviewed on another radio show by in Poland on their they have a, a kind of like a an uh, international show uh on national like a national public radio where they interview psychological and spiritual and political leaders and things like that. And the guy's interviewing me and it's going very well and all of a sudden he starts screaming at me. And he starts screaming at me, You process workers where are you, Hitler, yourself, or Eichmann? Or, and I was like, you know, and he started screaming with such intensity that my poor translator couldn't translate anymore. He broke out in a sweat, and he, he, he forgot English. Mm-hmm. And he just kept screaming at me. And finally I said, well, that's not such an easy question for me as a Jewish person whose family mm-hmm. perished partially in Poland, but give me a minute. No, you have to. And finally, I said to him, okay, I got it. I am a little bit like those horrible people. You're right. Thank you. And I said, yeah, they wanted to spread a message throughout the world. That was their goal. I have a message. What is it? I said, the message is we're all one family. Mm -hmm. Throughout this region, we have to unite hands. Catholics, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists non-religious people, people of color, all sexual identities, whatever. We're one family. We can never again turn against each other. And he shut up and he he ended the interview. And then he called the Process Work Institute the next day and he said, I don't know what happened to me. I'm this Mm -hmm. sort of alternative new age interviewer. Something possessed me. Like a ghost, he said, jumped into me. And so those are really big things. Like, you know, they really like jump into people sometimes and and make you very one-sided. Mm-hmm. You yourself had the experience with Arnie Mandel, who you quote quite a bit, um, and in your own uh, process work, where you, he he said. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, okay, I, I am Hitler, so re- react to me. Um, and I, I, I find this work to be profound. It's something maybe we would rather avoid um, looking at our terrorists, our abusers, um, and identifying with them. And in case this sounds totally mysterious to listeners, um, I really think that the book, Getting Off the Wheel, will help you, as it did to me, to walk around uh, and to confront these, these ghosts, um, Gary. And I, I really, I, I thank you for that. Um, it, it also was part of your own therapy then, was it not? Yeah, I mean, it was a real turning point. Arnie Mandel is the founder of Process Oriented Psychology. He was a Jungian, one of the top Jungian analysts in Zurich dream analysts, and after Jung died, he decided that um, psychology needed to go further into the body and into relationships, Jungian psychology, and into world conflicts and things like that, and then formed his own school. But anyway, so yeah, so I was in a therapy session, and about now, about eight or ten years ago, I said, honey, what's going on? My life feels so good. All the things I've worked for, my career, my relationship, my health, and it, I'm still, something's really bugging me. And he said, oh, come on, you've worked on your family so much, it's enough. He said, but watch this. And then he jumped up and he said, I'm your ghost of history. I'm Hitler, and until you face me, 
you're still going to feel plagued by some of these old feelings and patterns and symptoms. They'll just keep coming around until you're willing to face me. And that was really the beginning of my developing a lot of the work I do now called Healing History. Um, that was such a breakthrough for me. And he just held me to work on that stuff for about six or seven years, working mm-hmm. on <clears throat> excuse me, how my family history was organizing a lot of my negative experiences and how I could clear that and get free of that, that I didn't just have to carry that. And I had seen Arnie do similar things. Um, We have these big World War conferences every three years, and we were having one, I think, in Poland. And at one point, he jumped up and he said, I made off Hitler face me. And we had a lot of people there from Poland and Germany and Israel, and uh, about 35 countries. And another time, he said, I'm Joseph Stalin. Now, to say that in Poland, which suffered a lot under communist regime, people had never had the opportunity to process their feelings about what it was like in Poland to be under communist uh, oppression. And so, you know, to, to, to call that psychology, you know, Tyan, like people come in all the time and they apologize. I'm so sorry, Gary, but I have to talk about my reactions to this, to whatever. We just had the January 6th anniversary. So people coming in and saying, oh, I apologize. I know this isn't appropriate a therapy session, but I can't sleep since this happened. So why did we learn to exclude political issues, social issues, and history that that's not part of therapy? Exactly. It is. It is. And it, the healing history in a collective memory, it's, it's operational. And maybe, you know, ego-wise, we thought as individuals we were somehow immune from this, but the interactivity is, is very pronounced now. And you're seeing empirical evidence of that. I think the funny thing is um, I'm sitting here in Zurich and uh, near Zurich and Jung's place was just down the road on the lake. Um, so it's also just yes. funny, <laughs> funny that we're, yes, I didn't know, I didn't know you in Zurich. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's just, I think to my, you know, the other let's, we might as well get as full disclosure, get something out of the way here. Cause I've had, it's so ironic this week. Um, I don't know what you can <laughs> make of this, but earlier this week, I decided, let me contact, I was on the verge of a big life decision. Let me contact somebody with some sort of psychic abilities, because sometimes these people um, can see into you or can see, you know, the way you're thinking better than you can, or um, yeah, can just sure. see into the future. <laughs> you know, let's make it easy on old Diane here. Let's just find out what's going to happen. Of course, that's ridiculous. But I contacted this person and the irony is that she, Esther, who was fantastic, didn't do anything about telling me what was going to happen. But what she did do was, in essence, process work with me. Like many of the exercises in your book, she did with me over the Zoom call. And I can tell you, as a result, firsthand, not just from a cerebral approach of having read the book, but having just coincidentally experiencing it like three, four days ago, um, where I felt very cleared and very able to take my next steps forward. How ironic is that? That's amazing. That's amazing. And what you said, uh, I felt very clear and Mm -hmm. I could take my next steps forward. Those are two of those big signs that you've, connected at that deep level and shifted that that reality. It's just something that um, I want to share with our listeners um, in such a big way because, you know, you, you've said kind of as a disclaimer at the beginning, you know, you, you are, you've been, you know, a psychoanalyst and, and you've been doing this work for, for many, many years, decades now. And you, it's afforded you a certain ability, you know, to be in Hawaii, to be in places that are conducive to your own, you know, your own clearing and your own resonance with place. 
Um, and maybe not, and you've said this, maybe not everybody's able to take time away to, you know, return to places that are meaningful. But I guess what I'm asking, because it seems like such an important process, um, is are there kind of um, daily interventions that people can use and apply to themselves, whether or not they have oodles of time? And, you know, how does it work for, for a person who, say, is not enjoying the privilege of already having had a successful career? Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> it's interesting because even when my first training before I, I did process work or got my doctorate was a master's in social work and at a very progressive school. And even back then, they would tell us, you know, this therapy works mostly for wealthy people, upper middle class, educated people. And I rebelled against that from the beginning. So my first practice, I I opened in a small town that at that point had one therapist one day a month come down. And I started working (laughs) with these alternative methods with mostly loggers, and, you know, uh, a lot of people in poverty. And so I've always believed that therapy and all these spiritual methods and all that should be for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can do some of, the, some of the process work things. You can do, you can take three, four minutes a day and have life-changing results. A lot of the exercises can be, very, very simple. And, and, um, and the other thing is, like, you talk about the lack of time. Like, I've worked a lot in Japan, and Japanese culture is really high-pressured, and, you know, I used to work with a lot of doctors, and they say, no, no, I had a day off, like, you know, like two years ago. You know, it's like very, very hard-working culture. But even there, they love the process work because you can drop down so deep so quickly. And so I love the longer things. If somebody can meditate for years or go to a Zendo and work on themselves for 10 years, but most of us don't have that privilege. So what do I do if I have five minutes a day that I can mm-hmm. focus on myself? How can I work on myself? I um, think that, so it's like, yeah. it's like, I'm sorry, it's like the democratization of these methods, right? Absolutely. And, you know, they are non-hierarchical. I think they take away a lot of the um, so-called levels because you experience um, different states of beings with what you call fluidity. We have to pause for a commercial break here. But when we come back, we'll talk with Dr. Gary Reese about process mind and process work, how it's related to our souls, our essence and to the trauma methods that we maybe know through other practitioners like mindfulness, how it differs from all of those and how going deeper is really possible for just about everyone. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Drawing In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to Diane at DianeDewey.com. That's Diane at DianeDewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. 
Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Dr. Gary Reese, author of 10 books and a person who works in the collective and large group space as well as individual space. Gary, and you talk about it not so much as therapy, but as training. Um, How has it been to remove the idea of pathology um, and talk about training, which one, once again, is a much more accessible concept? Um, You know, I'm especially getting good feedback from people with more extreme diagnoses, more serious diagnoses, where they felt so marginalized or put down or um, stigmatized by having those. Let me give you a really quick story. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a mom who brought in her son, and she said, you need to recommend him to a psychiatric facility. And I said, well, tell me about your son. And she said, well, he lays down on the floor, and he shakes like he's having seizures, but we've had him checked out by the best neurologist, and there's no nothing medically wrong with him. And then he, he doesn't speak for a really long time. And then he gets, when he can speak, he's very, very anxious, and he's so anxious he can't go to school anymore. And so I said to the young man, well, what happens to you? What's your experience like? And she says, this is, you know, pathology. You know, all the doctors and psychiatrists say he needs to be hospitalized. I said, well, tell me your experience. He said, well, what happens, Gary? He he said, during those times I go and I travel and I go down to visit my grandparents. And he said, and so when I come out of those states, I can tell my grandparents what they had for dinner. And I can tell my grandparents what they're watching on TV. And I'm always accurate. And I said, sounds good. Why do you get so anxious? He said, well, I can't get back in my body. I can't find my way home. And I get terribly scared, and I can't get out of that panic for days. So I said, oh, this is not just a psychiatric issue. Has anybody ever trained you how to go out of your body and get back in? And he said, what are you talking about? And I said to him and his mom, well, I train people in in these circumstances. I don't hospitalize them if I don't have to. Let's let's enter training. So he entered training with me. And at this point now, he's in one of the best colleges in the U.S. He has a wonderful um, uh, woman partner. He's got a great career. He's a leader in his university. You know, and, and he... And he went back into those states very, very briefly. Um, and then he came, uh, we were able to bring him right out of it. So, yeah, so many of the things that really cause some of the worst-looking psychological problems are simply that people don't have the skills to move fluidly between states of consciousness. And so they get stuck, and getting stuck in a state of consciousness can get quite extreme. So I just train them how to be fluid again. It doesn't always work, but I can tell you it's worked with a lot of people, especially who have diagnoses like bipolar or things like that. Because a different, you know, a state of consciousness just becomes our reality, right? It becomes our totality. So unless you put it into context, you know, by saying, you know, there's consensus reality, there's dreamland and essence, um, and these exist somehow simultaneously or can, you know, we can shift and um, fluidly transition through them. Um, I I think this is something we're not accustomed to thinking about in the consensual reality world, right? I mean, you talk about retrieving your radiance. Um, Our culture is conditioned to think that you need to lose that radiance in order to kind of cope and move ahead and barge ahead, elbows out and, and get somewhere. So is it any wonder that we're getting detached from ourselves? And is your approach really about retrieval um, of self and, you know, reusing or recycling or upcycling energies? You know, you talk about it in terms of bipolar People will be very surprised to hear this, that you're able to, let's say, re-channel these energies into something constructive. 
Yeah. Yes, I love <clears throat> I love to to give examples because otherwise it sounds so unreal. So years ago, before I developed a lot of these methods, a man came to me and he was diagnosed as bipolar and he was really doing extreme things like riding his bicycle the wrong way on the highway and really dangerous things. And his family was, he wouldn't stay in hospitals and, and his family was so concerned. And for some reason, I asked him in the middle of the session if he had ever done any healing work with his hands. I just kept staring at his hands, and I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And he said, well, I have a little bit. And I said, well, maybe you should experiment with that and use your energy for healing rather than just doing such crazy things. And not only did he begin healing with his hands, but he began channeling. And he was a, he was a, he was a, a mainstream, he was an architect. And he began to channel the dead founder of his company. And his advice was so accurate that he rose to be one of the senior people in that company. And then he told them what he was doing. And they said to him, we don't care what you're doing. With the success you've created, just keep doing it. So there's an, and he, he also he came back one other time, I think, where he was kind of losing it and we redirected him. But that's a training thing. I trained him more on how to use, how to recycle those powers from something that was causing him terrible damage and his family terrible suffering into an area that he was incredibly creative and incredibly successfully eventually opened his own large firm and whatever. And he just had learned how to channel a gift. So if we're not trained in those gifts, they can overwhelm us, they can flood us, they can um, uh, make life miserable. But if you can learn to harvest your energies and powers, it's a very different matter. I love it. In order for our listeners to understand your um, context, Gary, you have a private private practice in Eugene in Portland, Oregon. You've been a director of Riversway Community Clinic in Portland for 20 years, and you teach process-oriented psychology worldwide, now actively teaching in 17 countries. You're a senior faculty member at the Process Work Institute and bring 40 years plus experience to your work. Your specialties include family therapy, sex therapy, working with coma patients, and we'll get to that, world work in hotspots in the world, organizational development, and integrating process process work with different spiritual traditions. You've published 10 books, including The Dance of Sex, Dreaming Money, and Families That Dream Together. Your latest book is Love, Power, and Wisdom. We are focusing on the moment at the moment on getting off the wheel, a process-oriented approach, a psychology approach to personal and world liberation. I'm just as glad that we began here uh, in terms of, um, for my sake, it it gave me a rather um, a broad brush background to the idea of process work. And I wonder if you'd give us some working definitions um, you know, how is it related to some of the other concepts that, you know, we have, like our soul, like our essence, um, and, you know, versus the marrow-like mind, the, the closer down-to-earth mind, where we often feel the world is too much with us, um, and how we're accessing these other states. What What is process work, if you were to say it concisely, to a layman? That's really good. Actually, at this point, I have to upgrade that description, but I've, I've now done about 14 books, and and that oh. book you're talking about now is, is my latest one, is Getting Off the Wheel. But So process work um, as a method, first, let me just say more the, the pieces of it and then go into the depth of it. The pieces of it are the, the key concept was that um, we've got to work with the whole person, and we've got to have tools to do that. So we work with people's dreams, like a lot of therapists, but we work with their bodies, like a lot of especially body workers. But we work with movement, like movement therapists. We work with relationships, like couples and family therapists, and help develop the 
process-oriented sex therapy and process-oriented family therapy. You know, we work with world scenes. We work with inner work and meditation. We work with people in psychiatric extreme states. We work with people in coma. But the point is, it used to be like a holistic method that, well, okay, you go see your therapist and you tell them a dream, and then they send you to a couple therapist, and then the couple therapist says, you both need some body work, so you go to a body worker, and then the body worker says, I think some art therapy would be good, and you go to an art therapist, and they say, you should go to a meditation teacher. So we... That's why it used to take about 10 to 12 years to train in this method before you were certified. Now we've had to make it briefer, more brief. But um, So that's, that's one answer. So basically, in the newer work, what we're talking about is these three levels. So consensus reality means I've got to pay my bills and do my job and brush my teeth and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Dreamland is the second level. Dreamland is marginalized worldwide. Dreamland is the land of dreams, night and day. It's the fantasies. It's the, uh, the realm of emotion. And in Dreamland, we're all the roles that show up in our dreams, also in our daily life. And a big part of Dreamland that Mendel developed was this idea of the dream body. That mm-hmm. simultaneously... In our dreams and our dreamlike experiences, our body experiences. So if you work on people's symptoms very accurately, they usually recall a dream or dreamlike experiences, right? And also uh, that, um, so that's going from the body. But in, if you ask people in dreams where they feel the symbols in their body, the dreams themselves have a body component. So we do a lot of work there. So mm-hmm. that's a lot of where this work lived. And then Arnie and Amy, the founders of this, said people were still suffering too much, especially around body symptoms and relationships. So they said we have to go much deeper into our essence. The essence level is that place that's pre-dualistic. It's mm-hmm. pre-verbal. It's our deep, deepest levels. And at that essence level where we have oneness with ourselves and oneness with the world. The difference between this and other methods, there's a couple. One is that, yes, we use a lot of mindfulness, but we take mindfulness and jump right back into our experiences. We're not just meditating. We meditate, we transcend, and then we use those transcendent states to go into our biggest problems. It's a very heaven and earth approach. Um, and a lot of how we access those deepest states is through heaven and earth. In other words, we'll have people meditate on earth spots and become the earth. Mm-hmm. Like I can become this ocean in Hawaii in my movement and in my feeling. And that gives me a lot of freedom from my problems to study them and work on them. Or I can imagine that I actually go from there up into the sky and into space and I just let space move me freely and I can get very momentarily high and altered. But then I use that high and altered state to work on the toughest issues I have down there. Mm -hmm. So the only other thing I'd say is if if someone asked me or asked Arnie or something like that, Say in one sentence, what is process work? I would say these days it's about studying the flow and returning fluidity to the various parts of ourselves and our lives. Yes. And we're very unaccustomed to, because we are compartmentalizing now, because we're, we're trying actually not to be present. Um, when I take my walks... Um, I, I just see people on their phones. They're, they're just on their screens. They're not, you know, I take a walk, you know, along the river to go into nature and the people walking on the path are looking at their phones. So it seems to me that we're, we're really trying to avoid this and yet wondering what's the solution to our anxious states and what's the solution to our depression and 
you know, our, our fears. Um, so it's ironic, right? It's, it's a paradox that, you know, we, we keep kind of shutting down or shutting off ourselves and then kind of wondering why we can't seem to quite get up the motivation to, to move forward. Um, I did some of these exercises in your book, Getting Off the Wheel, with the childhood dream, which I thought was fascinating also because your childhood dream, you know, like we were saying earlier, is, is ancient, right? It's, it's not just, it's coming from you, but then that's also your collective family history, your personal history. So working with this dream is kind of a timeless thing, right, Gary? It's, it's valid right. no matter where you are in life. Right, right. Two quick things. One is, you know, avoiding. So a lot of what I like to think about in process work is four-phase work. And without going too deep into that, but phase one is, is understood and encouraged even, which is avoid everything. Take a break watch your phone, take it easy. However, when that doesn't work, shift gears into phase two, which is go right into the difficulties and problems. And when that gets too heavy, shift gears into phase three, which is begin to let go and get more fluid and understand how you you are that problem as well as the victim of that problem and things like that. And when that doesn't work or that gets tiring, go into phase four, which is this letting go and going more into the earth or the space or whatever you need to to get free. And then after you've done all that really deep work, you might want to avoid things and rest again. Um, and that was more, you know, I had an indigenous teacher, uh, First Nation teacher, Mom Stogan, and she was, one of, she was probably the most powerful healer I had ever met. And I would watch her and, and her husband do these ceremonies and these healings, and they were so intense. And then Bob Stogan would say, now take me to some garage sales. And I want to watch some soap operas. So it was built into more indigenous culture to be fluid between all the states. You don't just stay with avoiding. You don't just stay in your problems. You just keep moving fluidly. Um, mm-hmm. The childhood dream, young emphasize, but, but in process work, it's really one of the keys, and it means your earliest dream you remember or your earliest childhood experience. And the idea is that those contain the core energies that are going to challenge us, the core powers, and the core issues of our life. Mm-hmm. And so Arnie Mandel used to say, work on your childhood dream every day if you can, even a little bit. It's where you can get in touch with your core things to work on. And when you move your childhood dream, things really move. Yes. Um, Because it becomes the story that you've told yourself you are. And that rewriting um, is is extremely powerful to have that, that agency. We're talking with Dr. Gary Reese, author of Getting Off the Wheel, among other titles, um, extremely valuable, Gary, and the fact that we're so obsessed with news and, and don't take rest or repose and don't get into altered states. Maybe there's a sl- maybe there's motion. Maybe there's evolution toward it. When we come back, we're going to talk with you about this evolution, how we can um, further ourselves in terms of our own fluidity and make ourselves mobile and viable again. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS communications company. 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Ari Reese, author of Getting Off the Wheel. The wheel is a pattern that goes round and round and round. Um, and getting off it means breaking these patterns. We just spoke of the childhood dream. And I want to quote from Getting Off the Wheel. Part of the um, paraphrasing here, the childhood dream and all its powers come back. We need to strengthen our access to the powers we already have access to and add access to all the rest of our powers. Just having access to a part of our powers can make us easily hurt. I think, Gary, this is so important about retrieval of these fragments that have split off and also recognition that what we have is and what we need is within us. I think that that will be good news uh, to to most people. Um, and I, I want to sort of ask you um, about this kind of retrieval process and about the, the childhood dream in terms of um, one of my biggest takeaways from the book, which was that people who have had oppression in their backgrounds, and many people have, and many people who are seeking um, have, uh, seeking enlightenment have had oppression, and find that unwittingly and unwittingly, we become abusive ourselves, at least in some aspect of our lives where we seem unable to maintain a holistic connection with ourselves the inner essence of ourselves, and we are still finding fragments of ourselves. This retrieval process is is work, and it seems to me that it's incremental work, right? It's it's something that becomes like a practice as opposed to going to a place and having therapy. Is that why you have... Um, so many books that address different aspects of this. Do your books themselves have an evolution? Um, and can you comment on the 16 questions that I just asked you? Sorry, bunched in together. <laughs> um, well, let me see if I can. Um, yes, you know, the idea is, for example, let's, let's say somebody has a gift of incredible sensitivity. And so you're so open. But if you also don't have a gift of how to make boundaries and protect yourself, that gift then becomes um, not just a gift, but an incredible source of potential agony. And so we can go back into the childhood dream and we can find the various parts that got cut off because family or culture or history or society blocked off those parts. We can, we can reactivate them and we can reintegrate them we can have them dance together again. And so, yes, that is an ongoing kind of work. Um, and you just go back and you, you know, I've often said that you can see people's faces when it really happens. I, 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 there's, I call it like your original face returns. I often ask people how old they feel, and they say like four or five. And their face is just young and glowing. And I've even taken pictures during seminars and studied that. And it's like your original wholeness comes back. Um, and so there's a lot of, lot of methods for doing that. I think um, how my methods have changed um, in, in my book is that there's a, always been an increasing growing fluidity between these different polarities that are usually split off, like politics and psychology, like spirituality and sexuality. Um, 
to make the method itself more whole? How can you help people become whole and access their wholeness again if the method is too one-sided? And so process work, for me, helps us develop every part of ourselves. And one of the terms in process work is deep democracy. Deep democracy on the inside means that I make a space at the table for every part of me. It also means when I go into world situations, I don't just bring in a few voices. I create space for every voice at the table. You know, I liked what you just said uh, in its entirety. There was a specific resonance for me when you talked about boundaries, because I'd like to just give a little example. Um, When I did one of the exercises, and you were making mention in the book of glass ceilings that occur within families In the family dynamic where I am, particularly here in Switzerland, um, it's a more or less, um, you know, paternalistic culture, patriarchal culture. And there's a lot of glass ceilings around what women are supposed to achieve. So in my goal setting, I can't really like talk about that too much here. I have my allies and, you know, back in the States who, you know, more ambitious, um, But the other part of it is, um, you know, do I really need to observe these glass ceilings or can I say to myself, wait a minute, their feelings about me, which are mostly female commentaries, um, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I not just being a subservient wife? Um, You know, why do their feelings have to become my feelings? They really don't. I mean, if I create a certain boundary around it. So I think that, you know, you talk extensively in the book about the roles that we play in our families, and those are also ghost roles. Sometimes if you don't accept those those commentaries of the glass ceiling, I feel as though I'm able to transcend the role of the person and actually speak to her as a person, to share myself as a person. Um, and it's been very, you know, freeing just to, you know, to read these passages um, from your book, Getting Off the Wheel. I, I just also just want to um, acknowledge a certain part of the process, which says that emptiness, from emptiness, not only from the wound, but from emptiness, you point out, can arise great awakenings and the conscious use of our core powers. This is very hopeful, Gary. And, you know, how do you sort of ask people to approach this emptiness? Um, Can it be done through the book work? Um, Do you recommend going to seminars? Are there such things as seminars? Um, Are you having virtual seminars? Maybe even how to reach out to you in terms of doing this work? What's the best best way for people to do that? Well, well, you said so much this time, I'll try to, try to respond to it. First of all, I can just tell, listening to you, a woman of your intelligence and depth and perception and understanding can't be held down. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 it would be so hurtful to you. And so um, one word I use a lot is internalized depression. Internalized depression means if there's oppression on the outside... People don't like me or put me down because I'm a woman or because I'm whatever. That that oppressor, just like the traumatizer, goes inside us. And so a lot of what we're doing is catching that and bringing that out and having people work that through so there is no more internalized oppressor. You're free of that oppressor and you can help others become free of it. Um, In terms of training in this work, Yes, it's great to do the exercises in the book. Um, yes, um, well, because of COVID, I haven't been traveling hardly at all for two years, but I, I have um, online seminars and trainings in all kinds of things, um, and people are willing to join every other week uh, in the mornings in the U.S. and in the evenings in Europe. Um, every other week we train in the in, in a different aspect of process work for weeks. But now we've been working on relationships, sexuality, and intimacy for many, many weeks. And then we're headed into working with families 
um, is the next topic, and then we're going to work on altered and extreme states. On the opposite week, we train people in how to work with groups and organizations using these methods. Um, I also have a training coming up in deep body work and how to even do body work online. I've had to develop a lot of new methods because of COVID. And so uh, this would be um, another series in how to work on our bodies on Zoom with each other or on our own bodies. And so there's a lot of opportunities to train. There's also at the Process Work Institute in Portland, master's degree programs and other programs where people can train more formally. And there's um, also a healing history certificate um, that people can do with us where we have healing history trainings all over the world. Now they're virtual um, where you can become certified in these methods. And healing history means how to work on inner trauma, intergenerational trauma, and world issues and world conflicts. So there's a lot of ways to step in, and you can step in a little bit, like, oh, there's a little three-minute meditation I do in the morning. And you can Mm -hmm. step in a lot. And I have now people who are just studying this work all the time because it's offering so much for their body problems, their relationship issues, their emotional issues, their family issues, and it doesn't split them off from deepens their spirituality plus it helps them be more effective world changers and activists. So you can get a lot of support from, uh, from this particular method. I thank you very much for what you said. I, I do try to, I do try to um, break free of my own wheel, right? And my, and yes, internalized depression. I, I, I'm familiar with it and I, I agree with everything that you've just said. I also feel that um, having just, put my toe in the water, I can honestly say that I do have the desire and craving to return to those states that I experienced. For listeners, I want you to know that Dr. Gary Reese is, uh, the website is um, Gary Reese, G-A-R-Y-R-E-I-S-S.com. And the, the process work, there are these process work centers, um, but I think you can find most of these references right on the website. Dr. Gary Reese, we're unthinkably out of time. It's condensed so quickly, but thank you very much for coming. Oh, being my with goodness. Us. Great. Funny. Well, thank you. This has been one of the deepest, most rewarding. And there's even there's a process work institute in Zurich, too. But thank you so much. And if people want to write me at, um, also at G Reese Office, G R E I S S Office at gmail.com. I'm really good with answering emails. And thank you for having your program and for helping the world and break through all feelings through your program. Thank you so much. I'm hopeful that that's what we're doing, and I'm glad you've been a part of it. Thanks to our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, to our executive producer, Robert Cialino, and most of all, to you, our listeners. Remember to stay safe and do what you can to get off the wheel. Till next week, thank you for dropping in. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.